Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Now, as most of you know, I grew up in a part of the country where there are a lot of farms, most of them subsistence farms, meaning that the farmers didn't make their primary living from farming. For many, the farms were a means of providing fresh food for their families, or for others, it was a means of making maybe a little bit of extra money. For most, it was just a way of continuing a tradition that had been handed on to them by their parents and their grandparents. The roots of farming ran deep there and still do. Most of our neighbors raised vegetables, though some had orchards like my family. A few raised hogs and some raised dairy cattle. The smallest number that I remember raised beef cattle. That is, they raised cattle. slaughter and sheep, which is a bit odd considering that most of the folks in that part of the country trace their ancestry to Scotland and Ireland where sheep farming is the dominant form of livestock farming. It seems that sheep fell out of favor in the American agriculture industry more than a century ago, though they were never as plentiful here as in other parts of the world. The yield from sheep farming is less lucrative than that from cattle and hog farming. And as a result, most Americans don't eat lamb or mutton, and they don't tend to prefer wool in terms of fabric. Now, while I had seen an occasional sheep or two while I was growing up, they were pets as opposed to livestock. I was actually in college before I ever visited a sheep farm, and I'll never forget it because it changed my whole understanding of the lamb, sheep, and shepherd metaphor that's used throughout scripture. Most of us have grown up with a sentimentalized view of these images. We hear the language about a shepherd tending sheep, caring for lambs, and we find our hearts warmed. These words and phrases elicit feelings of care and concern and compassion in us. That's natural, I suppose, because we've been so isolated from the reality of shepherding and sheep that our only impression of them comes from pictures and poems. The truth that struck me, though, after spending a few hours on a sheep farm, was that when Jesus called us sheep and referred to himself as a shepherd, he wasn't exactly paying us a compliment. Sheep are, to be quite honest, rather stupid creatures. They are completely oblivious to their surroundings a lot of the time and any dangers that they might face. And they're totally vulnerable to the dangers of a herd mentality. If one sheep wants to do something, the others are quite likely to follow, even if it puts them at great risk. Sheep are also among the stubbornest creatures on God's earth. As I watched my friend and his family trying to maneuver sheep through the course of my visit to their farm, I was struck by the fact that in almost every instance, the sheep would do exactly the opposite of what it was being encouraged to do by its shepherds. 
By the end of that visit, I had honestly given up any romanticized understanding of sheep or shepherds. I think that's fair, to be honest, because I don't think Jesus is trying to elicit warmth and sentimentality when he speaks of being a shepherd and his followers being sheep. He's building on the ancient imagery common among Hebrews in understanding God as a caretaker trying to lead an unruly flock. That language goes all the way back to the very beginnings of Israel, and Jesus' own audience would have been well aware of it. They knew their ancestors visualized God as the powerful, concerned shepherd who gathered a stubborn and unruly flock of people, making of them a community and a nation. Even when they rebelled against God's guidance, God never gave up on them, but struggled to redeem and restore them. God was personally invested in their destiny and demonstrated that concern through steadfast, loving kindness. It's this imagery that Jesus reclaims and reiterates in today's gospel reading. Now, this sermon from Jesus is delivered to the religious leaders, that same group with whom he's the very beginning of John's gospel. They have cast suspicion upon his motives, and Jesus has sought to engage them in conversation, trying to reframe both their understanding of God and of spiritual devotion. It hasn't worked, as we know. And now these words from Jesus about a hired hand who has no personal investment in the care of the flock, this warning from Jesus comes as a stinging indictment of these religious leaders. Their lack of real concern for the people entrusted to their care leaves those vulnerable folks at the mercy of the world. Good leadership, leadership that is rooted in the faith of Israel, is self-sacrificial. Leaders who would model the strength and integrity of a shepherd God and the shepherd rulers of God's people must be willing to put the needs of the people ahead of their own personal needs and desires. In keeping with the tradition of John's gospel, Jesus claims to embody the best of this tradition. Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who puts the needs of the flock ahead of personal comfort and safety, the one who is willing to give up everything to ensure the well-being of the sheep. Jesus stands in marked contrast to the religious leaders, both the Sadducees who had aligned themselves with Rome and the Pharisees who had placed a crushing burden of orthodoxy upon the people entrusted to their care. Their rule, while ostensibly based in concern for peace and righteousness, has done little more than exploit those most vulnerable, excluding those in need of solidarity and compassion. They drive others away from God, but Jesus draws others to God. They are concerned about comfort and security, but Jesus is concerned about justice and healing. We see that same dichotomy in the reading from Acts. Peter and John have shown sacrificial concern in their care for those who are in need. 
They have stooped to heal a person who was crippled, someone who was at the very mercy of others. That person's response was deep and abiding gratitude, but the response of the religious leaders was suspicion. They demand to know in whose name these two disciples have acted, still concerned that such acts pose a threat to their power and position, to the fragile peace of Jerusalem. Peter responds with courage and says pointedly that it is the very power of Jesus, the one whom these same religious leaders crucified, that has brought healing and wholeness to this person. Indeed, Peter argues that it is through Jesus, this rejected one, that healing and wholeness will come to the whole world. These words will prove costly for the disciples. They will meet the same fate encountered by Jesus, death at the hands of the religious and political leaders who fear them and the power of hope and resistance that they represent. It doesn't matter, though, because these disciples have heard the voice of a shepherd whose guidance is so compelling that they cannot ignore it. They have found a leader whose sacrificial love moves them to follow, to martyrdom, and beyond, trusting that the one who has proven faithful in life will prove faithful in death and in life beyond death. These last several years have proven to all of us that the loudest voices that compete for our hearing don't always have our best intentions at heart. We live in an era marked by an ever-worsening epidemic of narcissism and an ever-deepening crisis of arrogant ignorance. We can and will disagree about the means of addressing the challenges that we face, but there can never be a debate about the reality of the crises themselves. God does not intend for anyone to live in abject poverty, to live with violence as a constant companion, to endure the agony of state-sanctioned abuse, or to have their humanity stripped away from them. The one whom we know as the Good Shepherd intends for full and abundant life for all people and all of creation. We can disagree about how to ensure that flourishing, and we should have that conversation. But its divine mandate is not up for debate. Jesus' words today remind us that we must exercise discernment in identifying the voices to which we will listen and to which we will give our allegiance. In the cacophony of our world today, the loudest are all too often concerned only with themselves. It's only those that hold up the plight of the most vulnerable, that express concern for those all too often forgotten and ignored, that cast a vision of wholeness for all of creation that are worthy of our hearing and our following. Theirs is the voice of the Good Shepherd speaking to us today. To whom we listen is a matter of life and death for us and for the world. And Jesus, our Good Shepherd, is always speaking life.
Amen.